everybody. I want to greet everyone at every single one of our locations in Binghamton, Cortland, Corning, and then everybody joining us online. Come on, church. Can we put our hands together? Make everybody feel welcome. Make them feel loved. Well, I want to take a moment. I want to look right at you. I want you to look right at me. I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart, that I love you. I care about you. I've been praying for you, and I'm believing that God's going to do something good in your life right now. Well, everybody turn to your neighbor, tell them, build up. That is the series that we are in right now. We are starting a brand new series today. It's entitled Build Up. Now, it's a good reminder because sometimes if we're not careful, what we want to do is we're going to tear down. I remember going to the beach as a little kid, and I see like the sandcastle that's on the beach already. And my impulse is, I'm going to stomp on that sandcastle. I just can't wait. I don't know what that is in me. I see a sandcastle, I want to tear it down. Now, if there's no sandcastle at all, I want to go build a sandcastle. And I get real mad if somebody messes with my sandcastle. I'll defend that sandcastle and fight and whatever else. But uh, there is in us the ability to build and destroy. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, Everything must be done so that the church may be everyone together so that the church may be built up. That's our plan. In fact, we call that a life-giving church. Like, you don't have to be perfect at church. We are the perfect church for people who aren't. But what happens is when we come together, your imperfection and my imperfection, we could all sort of tear each other down based off of our junk. So what we do when we gather together as believers, Paul, his instruction to the Corinthians was that when we get together, we build up. That we have the impulse to tear down. We have that. It's in us. It's present. But if we all give just a little, in fact, one in this series, we're talking about our spiritual gifts, that they're supernatural gifts that God's given to us for the building up of the church. And if we'll use those gifts, something beautiful's going to happen. Well, I believe it. It's been declared prophetically over the church multiple times. And it's in my spirit that we're getting ready to walk into a supernatural season as a church. And I want to use this series to teach us what the Bible says about how to function in supernatural things. Now, we are all designed to function in the supernatural. We live in a culture that's overtly natural. We don't live in America in a culture where we have a spiritual worldview. But we can't be who God's called us to be until you're doing what God designed you to do. And that means that God has designed us to function in a supernatural way. So I want to encourage us, don't be afraid of the supernatural. In fact, the Bible says that we should be eager for it. And even as we are eager for it, there are rules for how to handle the power that we're given. Just like anything that's powerful, there's potential for harm or potential for good. It all has to do with how you use it. So God wants us to use the supernatural to build up. So he gives us some instructions found in the Bible that we're going to walk through all the way through this series for how we're going to do that together. How can we handle these powerful things in a way that's helpful? 
One of the ways I like to think about spiritual gifts and the supernatural is to think about a chainsaw. Now, a chainsaw inherently is a very powerful device. I would rather use a chainsaw than a handsaw to cut down a tree any day of the week. How many are with me? Like, yes, please, give me the chainsaw. Some of us, we went through the storm a little while back. There were limbs broken down all over the place. And some of y'all were out there with handsaws, just a sawing away. And I just, like, there was a run at the store for chainsaws. Because we don't want to just do it in the natural. We want to have a little bit of power with us because power makes things easier. Now, here's the thing. As you have some power and that power makes it easier, if you're going to build a house, you can do it the way the Amish do it with a screwdriver. You get a little tired using a screwdriver. So what do we do? We get the power drill out, and, and we take that power drill, and we go, Zoop. It's done. Going on to the next one. Done. And power makes stuff easier, but it also comes with a level of danger. So you have to know how to use it to be safe with it. Just like with that chainsaw, there's some rules for, like, you don't swing a chainsaw around wildly, right? The problem's not in the chainsaw. It's in how I use the chainsaw. I could use it to build up or I could use it to tear down. In the same way around charismatic gifts, the supernatural gifts, they're very powerful and they can be used for good or they can be used for harm. It's not the problem with the gift. It all has to do how we use the gift. Can I get a good amen? So here's what we're going to do. I want to turn in our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In Corinth, the church was functioning in a way that they were using the spiritual gifts that they had, but they were confusing. And the the way they were using the gifts were detrimental so that the people weren't being built up by the use of the gifts. So Paul writes 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 to explain how to function together in the spiritual gifts in a corporate context. I heard a little while ago that the Bible doesn't say to gather together in church. Yet all the way through 1 Corinthians 14, you're going to see rules for how we are to gather together and function together as a church. So let's start out in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 19. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies, everyone together, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be, everyone together may be built up. So this is like the difference between two nickels and a dime. You got tongues and interpretation, that's two nickels. How much is 
Two nickels. Ten cents. And then a dime. How much is that? That's like prophecy. You got tongues and interpretation and prophecy. They both equal out to the same thing. But you'll see some rules around it in verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? In other words, if it's musical chaos, no one knows what's going on. Verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. I'm not going to understand. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in, everybody together, building up the church. So, so with yourself, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in this passage, Paul deals with two main charismatic gifts. In a charismatic gift, we call that a grace gift. It's a, it's a charis gift. It's the gift that God gives to all believers, and the two gifts that he's mainly dealing with in this passage is tongues. It's speaking in an unknown language, and we'll go into that here in a moment, and then prophecy. Now, the one he deals with the most in this passage, and it's the most misused in the Corinthian context, is tongues. Prophecy we'll deal with later in this series, and there's plenty of abuse that has to do with prophecy, but in this passage and in this context, Paul is dealing with the abuse of tongues in the Corinthians church. Now at the same time, while he's giving God rails for the use of tongues, he's saying tongues is fantastic. So we're going to get into that a little bit today. So that we can be built up in this area, we're going to talk about the purpose of tongues. So if you have your notes, I'm going to make sure that the ushers pass that out at every location. Maybe just slip your hand up in the air if you didn't get it, and you can follow right along with us. And we're going to walk right through in our time together the purpose of tongues. So number one, 
The purpose of speaking in tongues, or the purpose of tongues, speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Everybody say evidence. Now what is evidence other than something that you can see? It's something that you can experience. It's something that is visible and tangible. So the problem is with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, people don't know if they've been baptized or not. They're trying to decide, has this taken place? When Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, he said, I want you to wait until you receive power when the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. And when that happens, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then you're going to go into all the world. You're going to preach the gospel to every nation. But don't you go until you've received that power, until you've been baptized in the Spirit. So the disciples start gathering together. They're praying, and they're like, well, we do miracles already. We've, we, we do cast out demons already. We do all these things. We prophesy already. What, what could be the gift? What is this extra power that comes from the Holy Spirit? They're wondering what that might be. So how'd they know? We get to Acts chapter 2, verse 4, on the day of Pentecost. It, Penta means 50. It's 50 days after the Passover. We're getting ready as a church in two weeks to come up to our Pentecost Sunday. It'll be 50 days after Easter. So the question they're having is, how do we know? And, and how did they know on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to what? Everybody together, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this was the normative sign because there was also a sound like a mighty rushing wind and there was tongues like fire that rested on each one of them. But then as you read through the book of Acts, every time they looked to see how did you know that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, they said, oh, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit just as we were. What you don't see there is tongues of fire resting on them or a sound like a mighty rushing wind. What you see is that people were speaking in tongues the way they did. That was the sign they looked for, the initial physical evidence. Now we would say there's post-physical evidence. There's other things that come with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a one-time thing, it's a constant thing. You go from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 4, the Bible says they were refilled with the Holy Spirit. But in this case, what we want to know is that this is, if you're wanting to know, hey, how do I know that I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? You'll know because you'll speak in tongues. It answers that question for you. Now, there's two, two kinds of tongues, in 1 Corinthians 14, you're going to see two different types of tongues that Paul is referencing. Number one is the public gift of tongues, and the second one is the private grace of tongues. So in essence, they're the same. In either one, you're speaking in an unknown language. The difference is one is personal and one is corporate. Paul's going to distinguish between them all the way down through the passage that we read. So the gift of tongues is for use in a corporate context. It's that first nickel, 
You, when somebody in a corporate context begins to speak out in tongues, the Holy Spirit utterance will come on them. They'll feel like they need to speak out in a way. Now at Two Rivers, we don't, we don't kind of pause for you to yell from the back of the room. What we do, we have these wonderful things now. We, we call them microphones. And the way we, this would be expressed in our context, somebody would come and they'd say, Pastor, I feel like I have a prophetic gift or a gift of tongues that I want to share with the church. And actually at that point, what we would do is we'd pause what we're doing and the pastor would decide whether or not he believes it's the right moment for that to take place. And then he, we would use the microphone. And then we don't have to yell from the back of the room. If you're yelling from the back of the room, I'll probably stop you. Because I'll probably say, hey, come on to the microphone. If there's people hollering out in the back of the room, it could be a little scary in our context. We got church shootings and all kinds of random things, and we don't have to make it scary. We like to say around this supernatural, let's be naturally supernatural. Can I get a good amen? So now they would speak out in this utterance, and then what would need to happen, there would need to be, according to 1 Corinthians 14, now an interpretation. Now part of this is on the tongue talker. In this public charismatic demonstration of gifts, which we would call this a blessing now, we, this public demonstration, what would happen is there now needs to be someone who could interpret. It says if there's no one who knows how to interpret, just be quiet. Hold that in. But I feel it's from God. Hold it in. If you don't know that there's someone who is skilled in interpretation, you be quiet. Because you'll see that later on in the series, we'll talk through some of the downsides of what's involved in that. So it's to be accompanied by an interpreter so that the church can be built up. If we just holler out in tongues and there's no interpretation, all we did was create confusion. Now, the second gift is the grace of tongues is different because it's, it's intended for personal use so that the individual believer will be built up. The corporate tongues is for the body, but the grace tongues, this gift of tongues in our lives is for the individual believer to be built up. So you need to be built up so you can build up the body. So God wants you to be able to speak in tongues. This personal gift, there's a distinction between the corporate gift and the personal gift. And when I was young, I was with my, with my parents. My parents were pastors. And I remember around the prayer time at our house, my parents, they'd get down on their knees and we'd all get down on our knees as a family together and they'd begin to pray. And, they, and I discovered one day, it took me a little while because it was just normative in my house. My parents were speaking in a language that I did not understand when we would go to pray. And it dawned on me one day, I don't know what you guys are saying. So I said, what are you guys saying? And they said, well, we're praying in the Spirit. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life, and it's a wonderful blessing. And the Lord wants to give everyone the blessing of the Holy Spirit, that you could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was about seven, and I said, I would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on me and prayed for me. And what happened was I began to feel the presence of God. I was very comfortable with that. And then there was like words that came into my head that I felt like I should say. And I didn't know those words. And the first thing I thought was, these are crazy words. 
I don't know if I'm going to say these words. But then I thought, you know what? I can't say my own language. i got to say the language. Like it's not going to be my language. It's going to be some other language. So I spoke out those words. And every time I went to pray in tongues, the Lord would give me the same couple of words. Until all of a sudden, it was like a dam broke loose. I said those words, and then it was like God gave me more words. And I spoke those words. And the, and the dam kept coming loose. And, and every time I opened my mouth to speak, God would give me more words. And I've watched that in many people's lives when they've been asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some will get, some will get baptized right away. And all of a sudden, they're just speaking out in an unknown, unknown language. Others, as the Holy Spirit's coming on them, I tell them, you're being filled right now. Now you just go back. You're going to let it out of your life. Something's going to flow up out of you. It's going to manifest up out of your life. You just got to get, sometimes people need to, like they go in their little prayer closet. They'll be driving on the road. It could be anywhere at any time as they are practicing the presence of the Lord that there could be this manifestation, and we're in control of it. I get, to, I get to control what comes out of my mouth. And I need that. It's the Holy Spirit's empowerment in my life. So number two, what is tongues? T speaking in tongues builds up my inner man. My inner man. Your inner man is going to be built up when you begin to speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4 says it like this. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. That actually on your inner inside, there's something that's taken place. Many times I've been discouraged. Many times I've been downtrodden or depressed or I've had anxiety. Many times I've faced some things that are just too big for me to handle. And what I have learned is I begin to pray in this heavenly language that God's given me. And as I begin to pray, something begins to well up inside of me. There's a hope. There's a joy. There's a peace. There's a power that begins to well up inside of me. And I stop thinking about the things that are around me or the challenges that I'm facing Oftentimes it's a financial battle, some type of thing where I'm like, I don't know how I could pay for this. I don't know how I could afford this. But then I begin to pray in this language. And I begin to speak before God. And, and there's a presence that begins to come and fill me. And all of my fears begin to wash away. And all of the things that were on me have to get off of me. And the Bible says that out of you is going to flow rivers of living water. That there's going to be this overflow in your life. And there's this inner man that gets built up. And I'm changed. The spirit in me begins to shift. Jude chapter 1 verse 20. It's not like there's any other chapter. So sometimes we just say Jude 20. And somebody's looking for Jude. Like it's just the verse. So Jude 20. It says, but you dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. That actually sometimes we go through life, I don't feel like I'm in the love of God. I don't feel like I have his presence. I don't feel like I have his joy on my life. But you can begin to read the word, you get built up in your faith, and then you pray in the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit reveals God's word to us. The Holy Spirit begins to quicken us so that our inner man gets built up. I remember I was, uh, we had started a, a program called Kid Care America. And we took our, these kids from the inner city and we took them to camp one year. And we'd spend a year with them. And these kids were wild, rough kids. They'd all been abused. They'd all been molested. They were all just terrible. They had a worse time learning at school. And the first year we took our kids to camp, every year at kids camp they would do uh, a couple of nights. The first night would be salvation. The second night might be like rededication. And then the third night would be the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now all these kids are coming down around the altars and they're all getting in the presence of God and, and their kids are standing around the altars and they're weeping at the altars. Now, our kids, they'd never heard of the idea that you might cry and have that be a good thing. So they walk up, and they're pointing at the people that are crying, and they're saying, Pastor Will, why is he crying? Why is he crying? And they're trying to, to, these kids are trying to tell my kids, the inner city, like rough kids, like, well, Jesus is touching my life. It's a good thing. And, and, and my kids started laughing at them. They're laughing at the kids that are crying around the altars. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's crying. Like, what a sissy. Oh my gosh, like, because they'd never seen anyone crying except some, like it was bad. And they couldn't imagine a context in which crying would be good. So the next year, though, we got them back. We loved on them all year. And God bless Ryan Payne. He's our worship leader in Binghamton. He was one of the counselors with us there. And, and all year long, I mean, we just went through hell. Count every, every Tuesday and Thursday for a couple hours after school, these kids would show up and they'd be banging their heads and throwing stuff over and mocking each other and tearing things down. It was just, it was like, we, oh, wow, we come out shell-shocked. Well, we got them all back to camp the next year. And night three comes around, they talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And something happened to our kids. Our kids went down to ask for this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget little TJ, one of the kids who would bang his head and he, when things would go off, he'd, he'd just go wild. He'd be buck wild and tearing things up and running around. He goes down and he prays for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He begins to speak in tongues. And all of a sudden, something came on him. He rises up and he hollers out, I got it! I got it! And he runs over to the next kid. He puts his hands on him. He says, Lord, fill him. Baptize him in your Holy Spirit. This kid starts to pray in tongues. And TJ says, he got it. He got it. And he's running around. He's going all over the place, just, just laying hands. It was like watching a Benny Hinn crusade. Now, now he's laying hands. People are getting jacked up and falling out in the spirit. And, and he goes back to school that following year. And he had a smile on his face every day. He had joy. It was like we'd never seen this kid before. His face had changed. And the teachers came to us after a couple months that he'd been back at school, and they said, what did you do to TJ? What did you do to Damien? What did you do to Robert? These kids are different. And we said, well, we got them baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because what happened was that there was a building up of their inner man. 
They'd been abused. They'd been neglected. They'd been shuffled around from family to family to family. But they discovered Jesus, and Jesus came in them, and Jesus began to overflow in them, and all that brokenness and all of that mess began to get righted in them because the Holy Spirit begins to build up your inner man. And we need the Spirit's empowerment today like never before. Now, number three, speaking in tongues is effective prayer and praise. It's effective prayer and praise. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, if anyone speaks in a tongue, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. That actually what's happening is we're praying when we speak in tongues. We're actually talking, it's like a hotline to God. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says it like this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. How many have ever gone to a time of prayer and you're like, I don't know what to pray. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be talking about. I said my five things. I ran out of things. I prayed for two minutes. That's all I got, Jesus. That's what I had. I gave it to him. And, and, and it says, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That actually, as you begin to speak in tongues, you begin to pray, there's things coming your way that you don't know anything about. There's spiritual battles that are taking place right now that you cannot see. There are moments of faith that you need, your, you need to be built up to face. That actually God wants to give you an intercessory prayer language that begins to pray in accordance to his will. It says in verse 27, he searches our hearts, knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That actually, I don't have to worry about praying selfish prayers. I don't have to worry about praying soulish prayers. That I'm praying in according to God's will. And anything I pray in accordance to God's will, I know I have. Because that's what the Bible says. So as I begin to pray in tongues, I'm not only just being built up in my inner man, but I'm ministering before God. I'm interceding for things that I don't even understand. There are many stories of missionaries that are overseas. They had these dire trials, these incredible moments where maybe the missionary was sick and actually died, but there was a lady who was woken up in the middle of the night back here in America, and she began to pray and began to intercede, and the Holy Spirit had her praying in tongues until she saw in a vision this missionary where all of a sudden he comes back to life and he rises up and she wrote it down in her notes and they compared notes the missionary when they got back and they saw on the same day and time as she was praying he was sick and died and the locals all had walked off they were getting ready to bury him but he rose up to life in that very same moment they compared the notes how could she know how could she know? But the Holy Spirit was interceding in her life through her in accordance to the will of God. When I was young and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I, I would go to the altars and I'd begin to weep for the lost. I would get to the altars and I'd just begin to pour out my heart and God would be overflowing in my life. 
And I had this terrible burden for lost souls as a seven, eight-year-old boy. And I'd go to the altars and I'd be weeping and crying out, God, and I could feel the pain of the lost and, and, the, and it broke my heart. Now, as a seven, eight-year-old boy, I didn't manufacture that. I could care less up until the moment I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But all of a sudden, there was a new thing that was happening inside of me. There was the heartbeat of God that was taking place in my life. People are asking me, are you okay? And I say, I've never been better. Even though I was weeping, it was the most beautiful thing for me to experience. This pain and this agony, but it was the joy and the ecstasy of knowing my Savior and my Lord. So you experience prayer in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit actually leads us in how to pray. Now, I, I practice that every week during prayer one. I walk around, and I begin to spray, I pray in tongues. I pray in that unknown language, because I don't know how to pray for you. I like to say, I pray for you. I told you today, I've been praying for you. I have been praying for you. I've been praying for you, but do you know something that's even better? The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Every time you begin to pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. That there is a Father, a Jesus stands at the right hand of the throne of God, and he intercedes on your behalf, and he directs the Holy Spirit. All of his thoughts and all of his ways come through the Holy Spirit directly into your life. So I walk around in prayer, and then the Holy Spirit, as I'm praying in tongues, I begin then to speak in a natural language. As the Spirit brings to my mind the things that I need to pray for. So I begin, as I pray that out, I kind of run out. And then I go back and I pray in tongues. Until the Holy Spirit gives me something new to intercede for. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. But I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Praising and praying with my spirit. The issue being addressed here is that as you praise, you're speaking in tongues. You're singing in tongues. You're praising in tongues. You're, you're praying in tongues. And actually at the same time, you can pray in your mind. And your mind will be fruitful. Paul is addressing tongues and praying in tongues. The next verse clarifies this and removes any doubt because some people say, well, you're just praying in your spirit. That's not actually speaking in tongues. But here's what it says in verse 16. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of inquire say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you are saying that actually this isn't something that's done just quietly on the inside, that praising and praying in the Spirit is actually verbal. They are hearing you say something. They just don't know what you're saying, and neither do you. So you add your mind to it. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. That's what it says in verse 17. All right, so, so it's clear from that passage that praying in the Spirit is, is praying in tongues, and that is prayer and praise. You're giving thanks to God. Now, some would argue that this is worthless because your mind is unfruitful. So go ahead and discard tongues altogether. But the great theologian Paul didn't come to that conclusion. 
He's eager that everyone pray in the Spirit. He wishes that everyone would. He limits the gift of tongues in the corporate expression so that there would be understanding. And at the same time, in the personal expression, he prays in tongues more than anyone. Not because it's a waste of time. He does so because he finds that he's drawn closer to God in prayer and in praise. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, not every Christian has reason to expect that he or she will necessarily exercise the public gift. Just because you speak in tongues privately doesn't mean God's going to call on you to speak in tongues corporately. But any Christian can expect and welcome the private spiritual language in your personal time of prayer and fellowship with God. That just because only a few may give the corporate expression doesn't limit you from giving expression in your personal prayer time. We need the Spirit's empowerment to pray in praise like never before. With tongues, it creates this this combination, there is a combustion of power and anointing that takes place in our lives. And, and number four, I'm going to close it with this. I'll have the team come back. Speaking in tongues is a doorway to the supernatural. It's a doorway to the supernatural. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire them. That actually there's a gift for our life that... That God wants to use the gift that's on your life, and there's greater gifts, there's greater measure. And what I like to say about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit doesn't make you better than me, and it doesn't make me better than you. The baptism in the Holy Spirit makes me better than me, that God actually wants to empower me for something that I could have the screwdriver or I could have the power drill. I could have the handsaw or I could have the chainsaw. That God actually wants us to be a better version of us. So eagerly desire the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So speaking in tongues is the doorway into all the other spiritual gifts. Some people want to experience all the gifts of the Spirit at once, but you have to go through the door to get to the supernatural. That speaking in tongues is like initiation. It's like an inundation. It's like a baptism. That's actually what the Bible calls it. It's a baptism in the Spirit. In other words, you can't force or create manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit in your life. But when you speak in tongues, what happens is you begin to open your mouth to speak the words that God is giving you. Now, when you prophesy, here's what happens. When you prophesy, you open your mouth to speak the words that God is giving you. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and you begin to speak in other tongues, God gives you something to do, and then you do it with His empowerment. When you go to function in a miraculous work or in healing, what happens is God gives you something to do and then you do it with his empowerment. That the speaking in tongues is always 
the, when the pattern of surrendering your life and yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit in those moments is priming you for every other supernatural gift in the Word of God. It's the doorway. So tongues is that initiation. It's, it's the practice of functioning in the supernatural. I found in my life over a period of about 36 years of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the more that I speak in tongues, the more that I pray and worship God in tongues, the more manifestation of the other spiritual gifts take place in my life. But I've also found the less I speak in tongues, the less I see manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of the other gifts that take place in my life. It goes accordingly. So tongues is the doorway. God's given each of us a means of edifying ourselves, of building ourselves up. Uh, uh, God has given every one of us a supernatural means of communicating with him and worshiping him as we speak in tongues. So as you're a spirit-filled believer, are you taking full advantage of this gift of tongues? Do you pray in tongues? Do you worship the Lord in tongues? Do you allow tongues to be that doorway into the supernatural gifts? You're wondering when you come to church, how come I never feel like I have a gift? It's because you just open the door. Begin to pray in tongues. Get to prayer one. Begin to pray in that heavenly prayer language. And what will happen is God will get, begin to prime you. He'll give you words. You don't have to, you don't run around speaking in tongues everywhere. You start speaking English words. That's the, the, the God's correction and his direction for us. But we begin to prime that as we step through the door into the supernatural by speaking in tongues. Tongues is a power gift that helps us to open a door to all the other gifts. So this is just week number one. We're gonna go through this series and we're gonna talk more about all of the other gifts and how to function in them together as a church. But if you wanna experience the gifts in your life, one of the things you're gonna to wanna to do is you're gonna to wanna to say, Lord, would you baptize me in your Holy Spirit? If you've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're gonna to begin to speak in tongues. You're gonna to begin to pray in that way. At the end of the experience today, prayer teams are gonna be available and you're gonna be able to say all throughout this series, hey, I'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want that power gift. I want that gift that God has for my life. I'm, I'm hungry for more. I don't need what I have right now. I need some breakthrough in my life. I need an anointing in my life. I need something more because what I got right now isn't cutting it. I need that extra anointing. And if you've got that extra anointing and you're not putting it to work, you probably know what it is like to live dry, to live where, where you're always in depression, always in anxiety, always under the pressure of the next thing that's coming. But you don't have to live that way because God has power. God has an anointing. God has a charismatic gift that's meant for the building up of your life. Go ahead and bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Jesus, I pray right now that this church will begin to function in all of the gifts. That even now your Holy Spirit outpouring will be poured out on us. That there will be a wave, a wave and a wave of your mercy that you begin to stir up the gifts. You begin to stir up a supernatural anointing. That we begin to function in all that you've created us for. And as we do that, we're going to build up everyone around us. We're going to try our best to learn what you tell us to do. And we're going to change our way of thinking and our way of functioning so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. Bless 
our response time in Jesus' name. Amen.